We are now nearly eight and a half chapters into this wonderful gospel of Mark. I think one of the lessons we have been having repeated over and over and over and pounded into our heads over and over and over again is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Mark wants that to be exceptionally clear to all of his readers. It starts even from the very beginning of this gospel. Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you cannot understand who Jesus is and who the Bible unmistakably presents him to be unless you believe that Jesus is God. He is very God of very God, as the old creed puts it. And we have seen this essence of his godness, his divinity, as even the demons recognize him. They're the ones who recognize him first. They cry out, you're the son of God. We see his divinity as he controls nature, calming storms and quieting waves. We see him as God when he controls the demonic world, calling demons out of oppressed people. We see him controlling disease and human infirmity as he heals people who are deaf and who are, have a speech impediment. We see him lifting up people who are dead. We see him controlling everything of this world's chaos. He's God. But friends, I hope something else has been coming out as we have been going through the Gospel of Mark together. Jesus is man. And you cannot understand Jesus unless you understand that he is man. He is God and he is man. He is very God of very God and he is very man of very man. Truly God truly man. You see, in every age, people, the enemies of the gospel, will attack one of these points or both. Today, we're familiar with the idea of the attack that Jesus isn't God. Oh, he was a good prophet. Sure, he was a good teacher. He, he, he taught nice things like love your enemies and all that jazz, but he's not God. He can't say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me because that's too exclusionary. We, so we can't say he's God. We're used to that. But do you know that through many of the centuries of the Christian church, that wasn't the problem? The real problem, they could accept that he was God. They couldn't accept that he was man. There was an old heresy that has gone very back to the early days of the church called docetism. It's connected to Gnosticism. And I'm not the person to give you a scholarly treatise on it. But other than this, the main idea of docetism was that Jesus couldn't possibly be truly human. Humans are broken. They're disgusting. They are, there's something bad about our material essence, our fleshly existence. So Jesus literally was just a, a kind of phantasm, like a ghost. He kind of faked to be a man. And that's why when you read in, for example, 1 John 4, John attacks this when he says, every spirit that says that Jesus is come in the flesh is of God. You see, that seems kind of weird. Don't we all believe that? Not back then. He said, do you believe that Jesus came in true human bodily form? This is the essence of the gospel, that he is truly God and that he is truly man. Now, we've seen Jesus' humanity coming out over and over. The fact that he feels things very deeply. He has compassion on people that no one else has compassion on. 
We see this earlier in Mark chapter 3 when he looked around at these hard-hearted Pharisees that were trying to hinder his healing work of a man who was lame, who could not walk. And he looked around on them, it says, with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. He was righteously indignant with their hard-heartedness and its effect on this man's suffering. We saw not long ago where Jesus sighs over this man who was deaf and who had a speech impediment, looking up to heaven and and unleashing this deep, heartfelt sigh of compassion for this man. We saw it last week when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and they're tempting him. Hey, call down a sign from heaven like Elijah did. Maybe some fire coming down. Then we'll believe you. No, they were just testing him. They weren't going to believe him if he did that. And he sighs deeply. He felt everything that you feel, and more. He felt more exquisitely, more painfully, in more emotional distress than any of us do. He was human in every way. And Mark wants that to be clear to us. And I start there because these few verses that Calvin Todd read for us, I just see the humanity of Jesus just coming out Is there anything more human than being disappointed? Is there anything more human than being grieved? I'll tell you, folks, if you ever want to learn disappointment and grief, try potty training your kids. You want to see disappointment and grief? How many times have we gone through this, Xander? I mean, mean, just hypothetically, your child's name inserted. How many times have we gone through this? You did it again? It's this picture I have of like the parent just going, oh, face meet palm, right? And do you ever get this sense of Jesus when he's with his disciples? They do something, they say something, and it's face meet palm. No, you didn't. We're here today. We're here today. And I want to be serious, of course, for just a moment to realize that Jesus is grieved over the failure of his disciples to understand truth. And do you know he still is? Do you know that Jesus still today is grieved over our unbelief, our failure to get it? Do you know that he still today feels deeply with our struggles and our failures and our weaknesses. Think about that Bible passage that says in in Ephesians, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve him. What an amazing thing that we serve a God who can be grieved by our failings, grieved by our dullness, our failure to learn. And what I want to talk about today is a message I'm going to title, Dull Disciples Then and Now. Dull disciples then and now. Because what we're going to see here today is that these disciples simply didn't get it. After nearly two years or about two years of being with Jesus and seeing everything that he had done and everything that he had taught and listening to the greatest teacher who has ever lived over and over and over again, spending nearly two uninterrupted years with him, they still didn't totally get it. And it's like Jesus says to them, do you still not get it? Do you still not get it? 
I wonder, friends, whether today Jesus, we would hear his words looking to us at times in our spiritual lives and saying, do you still not get it? Do you still not get it? The grief of his humanity coming out. Let's work through this passage together. Make sure we understand the context and everything about it before we try to apply it to our own lives. Will you look with me at verse number 14? We're going to start here with what I'm going to call first the disciples' confusion. The disciples' confusion. And they were often confused. But boy, were they confused here. Let's start here with verse 14. They have just gotten into a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and they have left behind them the Pharisees, who had been tempting him and testing him, asking him to call down a sign from heaven. And Jesus says, there's going to be no sign given to you. I will not be the one who is going to do miracles on your command. You will come to me on my terms. I will not come to you on your bad faith, stubborn, rebellious terms. And now, as they've gotten into the boat, Mark tells us that the disciples had forgotten to take bread. Neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. One small loaf of bread that was supposed to cover the entire disciple band. Now, it's interesting here, especially because we have just come from the miracle of Jesus feeding the 4,000. He had already fed the 5,000. He has now fed the 4,000. And he takes seven loaves and a few small fish, and he makes not only food for 4,000 at least, but how many leftovers do they have? Do you remember from seven baskets they have? And somehow seven baskets of food are either consumed or are misplaced because they're down to one loaf, one solitary loaf. And look at verse 15. And he charged them saying, now pause there for just a minute. The idea of the tense here in the Greek has the idea that he was charging them. It wasn't just like he said once to them. He was continuing to charge them and direct them and teach them and command them. So this was repeated. And notice what he says to them. Take heed, listen up, beware, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. He's teaching them something. Now, this is just complete speculation. This is not from the word of God. It's just, if you ever imagine stories, where do you imagine Jesus was on the boat? I, I kind of imagine him in the back of the boat, probably finding a comfortable place to sit. And I just imagine him coming across the lake from these Pharisees that had just rejected him in stubbornness. They had seen so much truth, and yet they were just totally now blind to do it. I just imagine him as being grieved even then probably somber, sober, and he looks out at his disciples and he says, now is the time to teach them some rich spiritual truth. I'm just going to, I have a heart to communicate something to them right now. They really need this. And he looks at them and he says, guys, I need to tell you something. You need to watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. They certainly were still in his mind. Oh yeah, and of the leaven of Herod. And he just keeps, he's, he's, he's trying to bring this truth to their mind. Now, what is he talking about? What was he actually saying? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Well, what's leaven? Leaven in Jesus' day is like leaven now. It's yeast. Yeast, actually, I learned a little bit about that this week. Yeast is a fungus. Did you know yeast is actually a fungus? It's actually related to the mushroom. Yeast is something that feeds on sugar. And when you insert yeast into dough... 
the yeast feeds on the sugar in the dough and releases carbon dioxide. And when you release carbon dioxide, which cannot escape out of the bread, the bread simply expands. It becomes light and fluffy. That's actually how the leavening process works. That's how bread rises. Yeast metabolizes sugar into carbon dioxide and the loaf expands. Well, the I picture that is always used or is that repeatedly used in the Bible is that something small like yeast, only a little bit of yeast, will make a tremendous difference in the rising of bread. Jesus is saying there's a kind of leaven, there's a kind of yeast that only a small amount needs to get in among you and it's going to have disproportionate results. And oftentimes, the, the, the bulk of the times in Scripture, leaven or yeast is a negative example. It's like, watch out. Watch out for this kind of pernicious fungus that will get into your life, that will get into your teaching, and it will just balloon completely out of proportion. Now, what kind of thing would he be talking about, the Pharisees, as having this fungus that might affect their teaching? Well, we actually don't fully know because the disciples kind of short-circuited the lesson for us. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Well, we do know this. In Luke 12, Jesus says something very similar. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is, does anyone know? Which is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. The Pharisees were externalists. They were religionists. They liked wearing their nice suit of clothes of doing very public acts of righteousness and religion. They loved to show off, in effect, but inwardly they were utterly broken. They didn't love God. They didn't love others. They simply wanted the respect of the people that were around them by what they did on the outside. We went through this. I won't repeat it all, but how they used their tradition to undermine the whole teaching of God's word. Jesus has already corrected them for that, and you can just cross-reference back to what we studied there. And so Jesus may be saying here, watch out, only a little bit of externalism, only a little bit of self-righteousness, only a little bit of hypocrisy and pride needs to get into your life, and it will have destructive, disproportionate effects on your spiritual life. That's what he might have been saying. Well, what about the leaven of Herod? Well, who is Herod? Herod was the king. Herod was the king. He was a tetrarch. He was a kind of underking of Rome in the Galilee region. And we learned a little bit about him. He wasn't a very moral man. He was, in fact, a very lustful and depraved kind of guy. But he was very politically shrewd. He would do anything to hold on to power. He was a schemer. He was a strategizer. And so Jesus may have been saying to them, watch out for the political types. Watch out for the schemers who try to lay hold on political power and use it for the advantage of the gospel. Beware of those kinds of people. That's telling, isn't it, on the, on the, the brink of an, another election? We have to be careful. We have to be careful of the leaven of Herod that says, if we just get Christians in control, everything will turn out well. Nonsense. Friends, I want to be clear about this. Some of the greatest persecution that has ever come to true, authentic Bible Christianity has been when Christians are in power, not unbelievers. Look back across the history. I should say professing Christians are in power. We are not immune from difficulty if we just exercise the political levers of power. We're not. And here, Jesus may be saying, watch out for that leaven. 
Watch out for that fungus that gets in of this kind of scheming and strategy that's, that's masking a kind of materialism and lust and desire for power. Beware. Well, we don't know for sure. Why? Because Jesus was intending to tr- teach this remarkable spiritual truth and reality to them. And where are the disciples? The disciples have reverted to caveman status. Food. Me hungry. You know, it's like this. It's like this. He's talking about bread. And my, my stomach is growling. I, I think of this with with um, high school boys. You know how high school boys resort to a caveman whenever they're around a girl, especially if she's attractive? Oh, girl. You know what I mean? They can't speak anymore. It's like every, all their systems shut down. I, I, I remember this. I was on my high school basketball team. We would have practice, and oftentimes we'd have practice at the same time as the gymnastics team. You would not believe how often the basketball just happened to roll into the gymnastics room. Sorry, ladies, we're coming in here to get the basketball again. Um, there would be, they would be running down the side of the court to do a vault, you know, practice their vaults and their flips. And the coach would call us together. And it was like these guys, I mean, you should see the, the heads of the guys are just like, the coach is talking over here and they're just like, oh, girls. I mean, it was just, it was, that's, that's like this kind of mentality. And I think of this with these disciples. Jesus is trying to teach them these profound spiritual truths. And they're saying, it's because we didn't take bread. And then it says here, notice here in verse 16, they reasoned among themselves saying, it is because we have no bread. The idea of reasoning is that they were fighting, they were arguing, they were bickering. And it's like, Peter, you were supposed to get the bread. No, Andrew, that was your job. Judas, you were supposed to remind us. And you can just see them starting to bicker back and forth about who was the one who forgot the bread. It's all about food. Now, notice something here. Spiritual truth was coming in their ears. And it was being blocked by a physical reality. I'm hungry. It's all I can think about. Now, it would be easy for us to judge them for this until we just turn the mirror back on ourselves. I mean, I know some of you have already just been thinking about lunch today. Right? I I hope not, right? I'm teasing. But in all seriousness, how many times have we been in a sermon and spiritual truths are being communicated and we're thinking, wait, when does the Vikings game start? When is my reservation at lunch again? What, what, What do I have to do when I get home this afternoon? We do the exact same thing. Physical necessities, physical realities are foremost and spiritual truths, spiritual realities take a back seat. And this is where these guys were. Bread. We've only got one loaf. He's clearly talking about bread. No. Listen to what Jesus says. Verse 17 says, And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Why are you arguing about whether you have bread? You think that's what I'm talking about? That's where your mind is right now? Secondly, let's not just look at the the disciples' confusion. Let's look at Jesus' what I'm going to call his cross-examination. Oh, man, if I could have been there, this was perfect. Now, if you have ever been familiar with the law, you know that when there's cross-examination, it's really not about legitimately getting answers from the person. It's about making points. Have you stopped beating your wife yet? 
That's not looking for an answer. That's making a point. That's what's called a rhetorical question. It's a cross-examination in which he is suggesting what the answer is. And Jesus is saying to them, he's making statements to them in the form of questions. He's asking them questions over and over again. Let's look at these questions that Jesus is asking them, and you can just feel his grief, maybe his indignation. Like, guys, what's wrong with you? Look at what he asked them. Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. The question simply here is, don't you get it yet? You're sitting here talking about bread. Don't you get it yet? Huh, what a, what a, what a convicting question. In other words, your understanding isn't working. You're not picking up on what I'm trying to say. Notice what he says next. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Have you still hardened your heart? Now stop there at that question. We've learned about people who had hard hearts against Jesus, the Pharisees. They had hard hearts. Their hard heart was being his enemy. They were completely sealed off to him. They were completely shut off. But not, not these guys. They didn't hate him. They weren't his enemies. What kind of hardness of heart did they, did they have? It's the kind of hard heart that just... It just rolls off. It's like concrete, and you've got a sloped driveway, and the water, rain, falls on the driveway, and none of it gets through. It doesn't seep into the concrete. It just rolls right off, like water off a duck's back. The, the idea here, I think, is of calluses. They had a heart that was calloused. You get a callus when you keep on getting uh, uh, something, uh, uh, a stimulus to it over and over and over and over and over again, and your skin just develops a kind of protective mechanism. And it's as if these guys had been hearing and hearing and hearing and seeing and seeing and seeing, and they were just kind of callous to it. And Jesus says, have you still hardened your hearts? Is that where you are? You don't understand. Your heart is calloused. And listen to then what he says. Having eyes see not. Don't you see? What a probing question. Have you been seeing what I've been doing? And you notice what he says. And having ears, hear ye not? You have ears, right? Have you been listening to what I've been teaching you? Now, what do you think these disciples are thinking at this point? Boy, we really stepped into it, right? Whoa! I mean, this is just Jesus really coming at them in a very serious, severe, profound way that must have really made them convicted. Whoa! Notice what he says next. And do ye not remember? Don't you remember or have you already forgotten? Now, I want to point something out. They fully remembered They just didn't really get it. Look, here's what I mean. Notice what comes next. Look at verse 19. He said, when I broke the five loaves among 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? How many leftovers did you have? They say unto him, 12. Did they forget how many leftovers they had? No, they remembered. What was the problem? They didn't really remember. They didn't remember what Jesus was trying to teach them. Keep on going. And, they, and, and when the seven, verse 20, among 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, seven. Did they forget what had happened only probably maybe a few days or a week before? 
No, they didn't forget. But Jesus says, do you remember? Do you get it? Notice how he finishes. And he said unto them, how is it that you do not understand? How is it after all this time you still don't get it? Now stop there for just a moment. These disciples had been with him for two years, living with him daily. And they didn't get it. How often do you think Jesus might look at us and say, Peter, how do you still not get it? How do you still not understand? Peter, do you actually see with those eyes or hear with those ears? Peter, is, is your heart still hardened? Now, do you remember a time when Jesus, in our Gospel of Mark, that he said something very similar to his disciples? Turn back just two chapters to Mark chapter 6. To Mark chapter 6. And I want to see something very similar where Jesus rebukes them, and now two chapters later, they still haven't gotten it. This is when after Jesus has fed the 5,000, and now he comes to them walking on the lake of Galilee, and he comes into them in the boat, and the, the wind is ceases, and the waves are quieted. And listen in verse 51 of Mark chapter 6. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed. They were completely astonished in themselves beyond measure and wondered. They just marveled at what happened. Now listen to what Mark adds in verse 52. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And now two chapters later, after Jesus has again turned a few small fish and seven loaves into food for 4,000 with leftovers, their heart is still hardened and they don't get it. We need to see not just the disciples' confusion, not just Jesus' cross-examination, but thirdly, our common condition, our human condition. What is our human condition, friends? What really is Jesus getting at here? Can I tell you what I think he is getting at? Why did he say to them, don't you remember how much bread I had left over? when I fed the 5,000? Don't you remember how much bread I had left over when I fed the 4,000? I think he's saying this. I'm intending to teach you great spiritual truths and realities, and your mind is over here obsessing about human physical necessities and realities, like we don't have enough food. And what he's saying to them is, don't you know who I am? Don't, haven't I already established that I will care for all your physical needs? You don't need to worry about it. Haven't I already proven to you, disciples, that when it comes to advancing my spiritual truths and spiritual realities, I will take care of you because I love you? And because I not only have the awareness of my, your needs, I have the full sovereign ability to meet them. How is it that you don't understand? How is it that you're so wrapped up in bread in your current human condition? And this is where Jesus, I fear, could turn the mirror on us and say the same thing to us. Friends, how often are we wrapped up in the physical needs and challenges we face and are completely distracted 
from the truth that God is intending to teach us in our daily lives. I I guess my question for you this morning would be, firstly, what is the human condition that is consuming your mind and heart today? For them, it was they only have one loaf of bread. We don't know. Where's our next meal going to come from? That was consuming them, and it was preventing them from seeing the truth that Jesus wanted to communicate to them. But all of us have human challenges. We all have physical needs. We all have griefs and burdens on our hearts on a physical level today. I don't even hesitate. I, I don't even dare to give examples because there would be one for each person who's here. The simple point I think that we should take for ourselves is first, those physical realities and physical needs can distract me from the truth that Jesus is trying to teach me. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6? He says, why do you worry about what you're going to eat? Why do you worry about what you're going to wear? Don't you know that your heavenly Father knows that you need all of those things? He knows that you need food. He knows that you need clothing. But what did he say? But, but instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek spiritual realities. Seek spiritual truths. Speak, seek the kingdom and all these things. All these physical realities, physical needs, physical necessities, all these things will be added unto you. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take thought for the thing, care for the things of itself. You seek the kingdom of God today. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us. Don't let physical challenges, don't let physical necessities blind your eyes to spiritual realities. But not, that, not just that. The second thing I think that Jesus was trying to teach them was simply this. You don't really know who I am, do you? You don't really know my heart of love and compassion for you, do you? Otherwise, you wouldn't be worrying that you only have one loaf because you would be saying, well, he's got it. he'll, He'll take care of it. I'm not worried. He knows what we need. And friends, how often would God send the same question to us? Do you really know who I am? Why are you worrying, Christian? Do you know who I am? Do you know that I've promised to supply all your need Everything you truly need according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Why are you anxious? Why are you fretting over physical things? Don't you know who I am? Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah, the prophet of God, is speaking to a people who are completely discouraged, completely despondent. Their political situation is a disaster. They are looking ahead to complete impending doom. Their enemies are going to take over their land and bring them into captivity. Isaiah has been telling, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Judgment is falling on God's people, and these people are utterly broken and despondent. And how does Isaiah 40 begin? Comfort ye my people. Comfort them. Give, speak comfortably to them. And what is that comfort based in? He says to them, get up into the mountains. Get up into the high mountains and proclaim. Shout it out for everyone to hear. Behold your God. Look at him. Who's your God? Don't be broken. Don't be despondent. Don't be bitter. Don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. Look at your God. Look who he is. Look what he has promised to you. And don't give in. 
You know, friends, we just need that same encouragement over and over. Whatever you're facing today, get your eyes off that and look and behold your God. Look who he is. Look what he's done for you in the past. Don't forget. Don't let your heart be hardened by him providing for your needs day after day after day. So then another new crisis comes up and you say, oh, no, I only have one loaf of bread in the boat. Jesus looks at you and says, don't you get it yet? Don't you know who I am? Have you already forgotten? Do you, those eyes, do they work? Those ears, do they work? Are you, are you seeing spiritually? Are you hearing spiritually? You see, our human condition is to be dull, just like them, to be insensitive, to become hardened so easily. And over and over again, Jesus is saying, get your eyes off the physical realities, the necessities, the needs that are consuming your attention right now. Get your eyes up to behold your God, to remember what he's done for you in the past so that you'll learn for how to respond to new crises in the future. Look at me, learn, receive, and grow. Christian, I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't know what new challenges or new crises you're facing But I know that as long as you're looking at the one loaf of bread in your hand and obsessing over it, you're going to be missing what God wants you to do. You're going to be missing what Jesus is trying to teach you right now. And you're not going to be knowing the heart, the tender heart of the one who says, just leave it to me. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek my spiritual advance in this world. And I'll take care of everything else if you'll just trust me. What a human, what a wonderful human reality this is for us, friends. Jesus, who, if we were, if he were us, we would just have our face in our palms over and over, is the one who still looks at us today, yes, sometimes with grief, but I hope increasingly with a kind of joy that says, that Christian, she trusts me. He believes me. And he allows it to shape the way that he uh, faces all the crises and all the challenges of this current life. Friends, there will always be dull disciples then, just like there are now. May we be the ones who finally get it and learn.